Members Church. Uh, the World of the Worlds is a science fiction novel by English author H.G. Wells, first serialized in 1897 by Pearson Magazine in the UK and by Cosmopolitan Magazine in the US. It was written between 1895 and 1897, and is one of the earliest stories to detail a conflict between mankind and an extraterrestrial race. It's been both popular, having never been out of print, and influential, spawning half a dozen feature films, radio dramas, a record album, various comic book adaptations, a number of television series or, and sequels, or parallel stories by other authors. The novel has also, also influenced the work of scientists, notably Robert H. Goddard, who, inspired by the book, helped develop both the liquid-fueled rocket and multi-stage rocket, which resulted in the Apollo 11 moon landing 71 years later. You know, we, we may wonder why this type of story catches the collective imagination of countless peoples. Maybe it has something to do with this idea that our world is always in conflict and invasion seems at times to be, to be happening right now. According to Google, from the time of the American Revolution to the time that H.G. Wells wrote his book, there have been about 54 different conflicts between the United States and various groups, including many different Native American tribes and many different countries, including Mexico, Britain, France, etc. But there's also been a war of the worlds waging constantly since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And this is the war between God and Satan, good and evil, and Christians in what we call this world, which is the embodiment of everything that is against God and his will. As Christians, we are commanded to be, not in, to be in the world but not of it, and to not conform to the pattern of this world. But that is not, not an easy task. We are bombarded or even invaded by the world all the time. But we're to stand firm, to not be influenced by the world. In fact, we are called to influence the world by being salt and light. This morning, we're going to continue the story of Lot and his family. And over the past several chapters, we've seen Lot look towards Sodom, pitch his tent towards Sodom, and eventually live in Sodom. And even after Abraham rescued Lot from the four kings, he returned to Sodom and continued to live there. Lot chose Sodom at his home, as his home because it was well watered like the Garden of Eden and like, and like the country of Egypt. And on the outside it looked nice, but on the inside it was evil and perverted. Pastor Stewart showed us last week that Lot had compromised and it had weakened his witness with the people of Sodom. After all his years in Sodom, Lot had not had a positive influence on the people there. In fact, the people had influenced Lot and his family. And the result was a spiritual downward spiral that cost some of Lot's family not only their physical lives, but probably their souls as well. Lot's relationship with God had also deteriorated. And we see this as we contrast the way that Lot is living to the way Abraham was living. You know, Abraham's sitting at the door to his tent when the visitors come. Lot is sitting at the gate of a wicked city. Abraham lives as a pilgrim in the world, just passing through. Lot has settled down in the city of Sodom. We've seen Abraham building altars to the Lord, but we never see Lot building an altar at all. Because of Abraham's influence, he became a blessing to the world. Because of Lot's worldliness, he had no influence in Sodom or even in his family at all. After separating from Abraham, Lot allowed his character and his relationship with God to weaken, 
as he continued to compromise the ways of God with the ways of the world. God visited Abraham, but we never see him visiting Lot. It is possible that the Lord could not be in close fellowship with Lot because of his worldliness. When I think of Lot, I'm reminded of Romans 12 too, which says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Lot has conformed to the pattern of this world. He's not been transformed by the renewing of his mind. His heart and his mind have been so infected by Sodom that he's not in tune with God or with his will. When we compromise the things of God for the things of this world, it not only weakens our witness, but it weakens our relationship with God as well. And that's our big idea this morning. Compromise weakens our relationship with God. You know, the world that we live in today also looks nice on the outside, but after it pulls you in and conforms you to its will, you notice the evil and perversion that is going on. By the time we notice that the world is influencing us, we have a hard time reversing the process, or sadly, we don't want to. This is why it's important for us as Christians to have a strong relationship with God and Jesus. This is the only way that we can fight and win the spiritual battles that the world and Satan wages against us daily. This morning, we're going to look at three ways from our scripture that the world affects us when we allow it to conform us to, conform us to it. But before we start to unpack those three ways, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on your people this morning. We pray for wisdom. We pray for discernment as we, as we open your word. Help us to keep it in our hearts and to share it with those that we come in contact with this week. In Jesus' name, amen. The three ways that the world can affect us is wavering, worrying, and wondering. The first wavering is found in Genesis 19, verses 15 to 17. This is what God's word says. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. And don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. We notice that these events are given a time frame, which means that, they, that there is an order to them and they will happen. The angels arrive in Sodom at evening time and Lot goes to talk to his son-in-law sometime later. We notice that Lot has wavered the entire night because it is now almost dawn. The angels have seen what is going on in the city of Sodom, and its destruction is sure. With dawn coming, the angels urge Lot to take his wife and two daughters and get out of Sodom, where they will be destroyed. We see that element of free will here. The city will be destroyed, and Lot and his family will be saved, but he needs to take the initiative to take his family to safety. But we <laughs> We can also notice what Lot does when he's confronted with this fact. He wavers. He hesitates. The angels actually had to take Lot, his wife, and his two daughters by the hand like a children, 
and lead them out of the city. He seemingly continues to choose Sodom over God. He may not have liked what was going on in the city, but there were things he did like about it. And those had a stronger hold on him. We also see the reason that Lot was spared is because of the mercy of the Lord and not because of Lot's righteousness. Once outside the city, the angels tell them to flee for their lives, to not look back, and to not stop anywhere on the plain, that to flee to the mountains or be swept away and destroyed. Now, we might kind of sit back and think, what is going on in Lot's head right now? We may ask, why is he wavering in the midst of this coming destruction? So maybe he's thinking about the good life he had in Sodom. You know, if you remember, he came to Sodom with a lot of wealth, and he's probably parlayed that into more wealth. From 2 Peter 2.8, we know that Lot was a righteous man, living among evil people, and was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. But he lacked the will to leave them. He may not have participated in their lifestyle, but he couldn't have lived day in and day out in that kind of environment without breathing the spirit of Sodom in. Sodom had become part of Lot. When we're living in and of the world, we waver when it comes to the things of God. And we lack the will to stand up for what is right. We may not participate in what the world is doing, but we allow ourselves to breathe its spirit in. Our standards start to erode away the longer we are exposed to the world. And we may even start to justify certain sins or lifestyles. We think just a little bit of compromise here or there will be okay. And so we waver when confronted by sin. We waver because of our love for the things of this world. And we waver in the face of certain destruction. That brings us to our first next step this morning on the back of your communication card, which is to confess my wavering when it comes to the things of God and the purpose to stand up for what is right. The second way the world can affect us is by worrying. And we see this in Genesis 19, verses 18 to 26. Again, this is what God's word says. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, right? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because they cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. From the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. <clears throat> so after being taken outside the city and urged to flee for their lives, what does Lot do? Does he run as fast as he can with his family for the mountains? No, he bargains with those who were sent to save him. He's trying to make a deal. The reason he doesn't want to go to the mountains is because he's worried he can't get there before the disaster will hit. The angels have come to his house to save him. They've come to save him and his family from the disaster, and somehow in his mind he thinks there's no way he can make it to mountains 
in time to be saved. You know, the angels have come to save him, and he's worried about his safety. The world has so entangled Lot's mind that he's not thinking straight. Common sense has been thrown out the window. But I also wonder if he's more worried about his lifestyle than his safety. He's asked the angels to allow him to go to another city instead of the mountains called Zor. And Zor is similar to the Hebrew word for a small thing. Baldwin says the pun reinforces his plea that he is really not asking for much. Lot's little request amounted to no more than a reversal of the instructions he was first given. You know, he doesn't seem to be taking the threat of his destruction seriously. He believes by going to the city of Zor, he'll be safe. But Zor was one of the five cities in the plain slated to be destroyed along with Sodom. You know, the world has not only conformed his heart, but his mind as well. He's making wrong decisions, and his thinking is distorted. His heart and mind should have been transformed through his relationship with God, but sadly, compromise has weakened his relationship instead. You know, we again see God's mercy here as the angels grant his request. In fact, the entire city is going to be spared because Lot wants to go there. And we see the similarity here as Abraham interceded for Sodom. Now Lot pleased to be sent to Zor, which in effect saves the city. The difference is that Abraham is being selfless and Lot is selfish. Abraham pleads for divine justice, but Lot is looking after his own well-being and convenience. Lot proves to be fearful, selfish, and faithless, which is all the things the world will do to us when we allow it to. But the angels tell Lot he needs to flee quickly because the destruction can't start until he gets to Zor. Think about that for a second. The destruction of Sodom and the plane cannot begin until Lot gets to Zor. Just like it wouldn't have started until he was safe in the mountains. Now we can see how messed up Lot's reasoning and logic was. And if we're living in and of the world, our reason and our logic will suffer just as Lot's did. We'll not make the right choices or decisions. Next, we see the destruction that comes to Sodom. It happens once Lot reaches Zor and the sun has completely risen. We're told two times that it is the Lord who causes the destruction. First, it says it is the Lord who rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. And second, that it came from the Lord out of the heavens. This is important because it wasn't just a natural disaster. It was judgment and punishment from the Lord. There's no doubt as to what happened to these cities and why. We're also told that the destruction was total and that it destroyed all living people and all visitation in the land. It was a complete and total annihilation. Kylan Dillich says this, not only were the cities destroyed, but the soil as well. Even to the present day in the Dead Sea, there's a sulfurous vapor which hangs about it. There are great blocks of saltpeter which are around it. There is the utter absence of the slightest trace of animal and vegetable life in its waters. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities was so complete that even to this day, there is not exact certainty where they were located. Then we're told what happens to Lot's wife. 
The text says she looked back and became a pillar of salt. You know, we're not told why she looked back, but she seems to be longing for what she had in Sodom. But whatever it was, not even being with her husband and her daughters could keep her from disobeying the direct command from the angel to not look back. She became a pillar of salt and lost her life. In fact, according to Walton's commentary, the, Hebrews, the Hebrew preposition used means Lot's wife didn't just look back towards Sodom, but had may have started going back to Sodom. It was caught in the burning sulfur that the Lord rained down. Now, the angel's command was not disobeyed by looking back, but by willingly going back to Sodom. She must have been so enamored with the city and what it had to offer that she was willing to go back without her family and to go back to sure destruction. You know, being in and of the world made Lot worried about a lot of things. But all his worrying was really for no reason. He's worried about his safety, but God was in control. God even sent angels to save him. You know, the Bible says a lot about worry. Here's just a couple verses. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And Matthew 6, 25, 27 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety or worry on him because he cares for you. For those who do not know Jesus as their savior or for those whose relationship with God has been compromised, debilitating worry like what Lot had will be part of their daily life. But as Christians in a right relationship with Jesus, we don't need to worry because we know that God is in control. He's in control of this world, and we can have the hope of an abundant life on this earth and eternal life in heaven. That brings us to our second next step on the back of your communication card, which is to claim the promise that because of my relationship with Jesus, I do not need to worry about the things of this world. The third way the world can affect us is in wondering. And we see this in Genesis 19, 27 to 29. This is what God's word says. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. And he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Again, we can see that we're, that we're given a time frame. God has rained down burning sulfur on Sodom at sunrise. And then sometime later, early in the morning, Abraham goes back to the place where the Lord first told him about Sodom's destruction. He looks down towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And all he sees is dense smoke rising from the plain. 
Burning smoke in the Bible demonstrates divine anger and judgment. Abraham now knows that not even 10 righteous people have been found in the five cities. He doesn't need to wonder about the fate of Sodom anymore. But he must have been wondering what happened to Lot and his family. The narrator has let us, the audience, know, but Abraham doesn't know. We can be sure that he's hoping that they've made it out alive, or maybe he's already mourning their loss and mourning the loss of the inhabitants in the plain. This is the only chapter in the story of Abraham that he doesn't speak. His quiet, quiet contemplation says it all. We're never told if Abraham ever found out about Lot and his family. But after this chapter, Lot disappears from the page of the Old Testament completely. The section ends with the audience being reminded of a couple of things. One, it is God who destroyed the cities of the plain. It was not a natural disaster. And second, we're reminded that because of Abraham's intercession, Lot was spared from destruction. Sodom wasn't saved, but Lot and his two daughters were. And the reason they are saved is because God remembered Abraham. The verb for remember is important because it speaks to God's covenantal faithfulness. The Lord was faithful to his promise to Abraham. And we've seen this before when God remembered Noah and saved him and his family from the flood and brought them out of the ark. You know, living in this sinful world will cause us to wonder. Just as Abraham must have been wondering if Lot and his family had been saved, we may wonder about our loved ones, our friends and family, and their salvation. Just like Lot, who had to flee, who had the free will to be saved or not, our friends and family also have free will to make a decision whether they should accept Jesus Christ their Savior or not and be saved from eternal separation from God. But that doesn't mean we won't wonder if they've made their decision. It doesn't mean we shouldn't keep interceding for them to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We live in a sinful world, and this world wants to drag us down, wants to drag us away from God. And because we live in this world, we may wonder about the salvation of our friends and family. In fact, we may even wonder about our own salvation. So maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're wondering about the salvation of your friends and family. If so, the third next step would be for you. My next step is to keep interceding with God on behalf of the salvation of my friends and family. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on God for the, for the miraculous to happen. But then again, maybe you're unsure of your own salvation this morning. And if so, you don't have to wonder anymore. You can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now. And this final step may be for you. Just to admit that I'm a sinner, believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and rose from the dead, and confess that he is my Lord and Savior. Now, if you made that decision today, mark the back of that communication card and put your contact information on it so we can be in touch with you. Now, if you made that decision, you're still going to have to live in this sinful world just like the rest of us, but you'll never have to wonder again about where you will go when your physical body dies. Your eternal home will be in heaven with God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and 
we wonder how it can apply to us. Certainly the next steps are ways that we can apply this text to our lives. As we live in the world, we need to be careful not to be of it. We must not waver when it comes to the things of God. We must not worry because God is in control. And we do not have to worry about our eternity because God has made a way for us to be in a right relationship with himself. But you know, Lot and his wife are also warnings for us today to what the world can and will try to do to us. If Lot couldn't be in Sodom, he wanted to be as close as he could be. And his wife couldn't bear to not be there. As Christians, we live in Sodom every single day. We live in this world with all of its surface beauty, fake happiness, and prosperity. We've been warned to not let the world influence us, but to influence it. We are given the chance to escape, so to speak, not physically, but spiritually. As Christians, we must continually strengthen our relationship with God and Jesus daily. We must be in his word. We must be communicating with him through prayer. We must be studying and meditating on scripture, and we must be evaluating our lives through its lens and not the lens of this world. We must be striving to live holy lives, set apart by God, and to be salt and light in this world that he has placed us in. We must be striving to be more like his son, Jesus Christ, every day. And the good thing is, the great thing is, we are given the means to make this happen, which is the Holy Spirit. This is how we can be in the world, but not of it. The question for each of us this morning is this. What will we do when given the chance to escape the world? Will we waver? Will we worry? Will we look back and even go back to the world and let it overwhelm and conquer us? Or will we put on the armor of God and daily fight the spiritual war of the worlds that we find ourselves in right now? This is what Jesus calls his followers to do. As the praise team comes to lead us in a final song, let's bow our heads for a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the strength to not waver when it comes to following you in this world. We pray that you would help us to take would help us to take all of our worry, anxiety, and burdens and lay them at your feet. And God, we pray that we would not grow weary of interceding for the salvation of our friends and family. Thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And we thank you for the application for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark, uh, what an incredible message.